0: So I'm actually going to invite Elijah, my oldest up. Our <laughs> our passage this morning is we're going to jump in is quite long. We're going to we're going to look at the entire chapter of Mark 15. And so Elijah's going to uh, going to read it for us.
1: Good morning. The leading priests, the elders and the teachers of the religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step they bound jesus led him away and took and took him to pilate the roman governor pilate asked jesus are you the king of the jews jesus replied you have said it then the leading priest kept pilate uh, the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes and pilate asked him Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they will they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom to, for uh, custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews, Pilate asked, for he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd and demanded uh, stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, "Then what what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews?" They shouted back, "Crucify him!" "Why?" Pilate demanded. "What crime has he committed?" But the mob roared even louder, "Crucify him!" So To pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, "Hail, King of the Jews!" Then and then they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one was on, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted in abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they, scoffed, but they can't but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell upon the whole land until three o'clock. Then... At three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema shabachni," which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, let's see whether Elijah comes down to take him down. Uh, Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Some women were there, watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many of the other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. And as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea, took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was, honor, was an honored member of the, of the high council, and, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate could not believe that Jesus was already dead, so he po- called for the Roman officer as he asked if he had died yet. The officers confirmed that Jesus was dead. So Pilate told Joseph he can have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid.
0: Awesome! Thank you, buddy. This is the word of the Lord. Good job. That was, there's so much. Well, good morning. I don't. I don't know how I'm gonna. We'll see. We'll see how uh, how I get through this. In the mid 19th century, archaeologists were digging in Rome. They unearthed uh, this house that was formerly part of a palace of a Roman emperor who reigned from AD 37-ish to AD 41. What's interesting is one of the most important findings out of this dig was actually a piece of Roman graffiti. Actually, and I I think it's going to be, I think we can see it. Yeah. This Roman graffiti shows a young man looking up in admiration at a crucified figure, the figure of a man with a donkey's head stretched out upon a cross. Underneath the picture is written Aleximos worships his God. This is Roman graffiti from the early first century mocking early Christians. The Romans put convicted criminals at the level of animals. This sketch is not a work of art. This is graffiti. The caption is badly spelled, the picture is crudely drawn. This is not some like pious religious art. This is mocking early Christians. Okay, we can take it down. (laughs) There's really no question that that was mocking early Christians. This strange new religion was spreading through the empire, seemingly ridiculous to the Romans. It started in Jerusalem and it required its worshipers to worship a crucified God. From the beginning, whether in Rome or in Corinth or in Jerusalem, Paul's words that the cross is folly were true. This was seen as foolishness. Next week, it's Resurrection Sunday. We're going to finish out the gospel of Mark, close out our journey as we've preached through this book. But today we're going to spend some time, we're going to look at the cross. The significance of the cross. Mark, as we've said over and over and over, Mark wrote this gospel for disciples. It is a roadmap for us as followers of Jesus, as how we're to live. This is a Roadmap for that young Christian in that graffiti as how to live and worship this crucified king. It's a roadmap for us in a time when it's not socially advantageous necessarily to follow Jesus. This morning we will spend too short of a time looking at the cross my goal truly is just to tell the story we'll see how we'll see how long it takes my goal is to tell the story and to encourage you to think and ponder and meditate and remember the cross for mark in his gospel it all builds up to this point this is the event this is the point for Mark, you cannot understand Jesus properly without this chapter. Larry Hurtado, in his commentary on Mark, he, in his introduction, he says this, and it's, it's, I think it's spot on. He says, one of his major points, one of Mark's major points, is that Jesus' crucifixion was his key work, and that all else his exorcisms, healings, miracles, was only an incomplete hint of Jesus' true nature and meaning. This is why no one in 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 Mark's gospel is allowed to acclaim Jesus openly as the Son of God or the Messiah for any acclamation uninformed by the crucifixion is misleading and invalid. This is why, also, the people and the disciples, specifically in Mark's gospel, come across as bewildered or even stupid. In Mark's view, no one, it's impossible to understand the true meaning of Jesus and his work until Jesus has actually completed it on the cross. For Mark, the cross is not only the key work of Jesus, it is also our pattern for discipleship. This is how we live, cruciformed. For many of us, when we think of the cross, we think of a religious symbol, maybe a piece of jewelry or a tattoo or a piece of wall art or something that goes in front of a church or a cemetery. For the most part, it's it's a religious symbol. We've all seen the coexist signs. There's all the other religious, have you seen the bumper stickers that say coexist. The cross is much more than just a religious symbol. I remember when I was new to following Jesus, somebody telling me that a, a cross, to wear a cross is, to, is like wearing an electric chair or a hangman's noose. Just to reframe the way that we think about what the cross was and what it represents. The cross was a political symbol long before it became a religious symbol. Pilate knew it, the crowds knew it, The chief priests knew it, Jesus knew it. They all knew what it meant. The cross was the ultimate symbol of Roman power. The cross said, we're in charge here. This is what happens when people get in the way of the empire. The Romans had crucified thousands of rebel Jews when Jesus was a boy in Galilee. They would crucify thousands more in a few years, A.D. 70. So many so that that historians say they got bored and experimented with hanging people in different positions, altitudes, and postures until they ran out of wood. In between those two devastating events, thousands more were crucified, sometimes on smaller pretexts. The cross was a political symbol of Roman power. It was meant to squash any hope. Polite Romans would not even mention the word crucifixion or cross The reality was so brutal, so ugly, so repugnant that they wouldn't even say the word. It turned into graffiti, mocking. But the cross was the reality of which their empire was in fact constructed. The empire which boasted bringing justice and peace to the whole world was built on the back of that cross. Mark writing to Gentile believers, to a Roman, predominantly Roman audience, his first readers certainly knew this. We need to remember what the cross represented as we read these narratives, it becomes, it's easy for it to become sort of a trite thing that we think about occasionally or a symbol. We need to remember. In Mark's gospel, in his telling of the story, this chapter, his emphasis is on the fact that Jesus is the king of the Jews this is Jesus's coronation this is his enthronement Jesus is king but he's not like any other king N.T. Wright who's written a couple good books on this the day the revolution began if you're if you're looking for one be a good book to read N.T. Wright says, Jesus is crucified precisely as the king of the Jews. And one of the first things revealed by the resurrection is that the crucifixion was in fact his enthronement. Like I said, my goal this morning is just to tell the story. We're going to walk through this passage and highlight a couple points. But I want us to sit with this story. Our passage continues off where we left off last week. We looked at the trial, the mock trial, the, the trials in the night. The trial the night before seems from this chapter as possibly only like a pre-trial. They're getting their stories straight. The religious leaders are colluding to get their stories straight. Before they have the official trial in the morning, and they walk Jesus, they take him over to Pilate because the Jews had no authority to put someone to death. They had to take him to the Romans. They lacked the actual ability to accomplish, to do the thing that they wanted with Jesus. They wanted him dead. So they take him to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governing official. He actually had authority to execute cr- criminals. This guy, this Pilate, he gets to live in infamy every week. All the time, millions of Christians recite regularly this, the creed that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Pilate. we're honest when we read this chapter Mark portrays him sort of ambivalent <laughs> he's he's not he, he sees what's happening here Pilate asks Jesus are you the king of the Jews like I said this is the key phrase six times in this chapter that phrase king of the Jews Jesus responds sort of with a non answer. If you say so, that's his only response. They keep accusing him. Mark says Jesus was silent. I think Jesus does this in part. Mark highlights the silence of Jesus in part because his disciples would face similar trials. And so he was modeling how not to defend himself. Pilate knows and this is fascinating to me Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. He says he, he realizes that the religious elite are simply envious. He's done nothing wrong. So he offers a way out of this whole thing for Jesus. It was apparently his custom the week of Passover to release release a condemned criminal in a way to appease the populace. So he gives the people a choice between these two men, Barabbas or Jesus. There was already an execution scheduled for that day. There was already a cross prepped. So Pilate puts these two men before the people. Barabbas was an insurrectionist, a revolutionary, a murderer. This is what the cross was for in the Romans' eyes, to put down this kind of a person. He was getting the just punishment for his crime in the Roman system. Jesus was blameless. Even Pilate could see this. Notice Jesus, Pilate's response. Why? When the people are saying, crucify him. Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? Mark and all the other gospel writers place these two, Barabbas and Jesus, I think, in an intentional contrast. Barabbas represents the human attempt to accomplish what the Jewish people had wanted, liberation from the Roman oppressors. Jesus represents the kingdom way, and the people want none of it. They shout, crucify him. Barabbas' way only doles out more violence in a never-ending cycle. Jesus' way soaks up injustice, evil, oppression, and unleashes a far more powerful cycle of love and forgiveness and redemption. Barabbas was the typical Jewish rebel, probably what we would today call like a a religious extremist. He was determined to stop at nothing, to bring in a version of God's kingdom which consisted of defeating the Roman power by any means possible. And given the choice between the two, the people, the crowds, stirred up by the religious leaders Ask for Barabbas to be freed. The crowds cheer free Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Which is ironic. Barabbas, his name, Bar Abba, it means son of the father. Jesus was the true son of the father, the true. Liberator, the true revolutionary. But they wanted Barabbas. At this point, the crowds are all worked up, and in an effort to appease the crowds, Pilate gives in and he gives the order to free Barabbas and to begin the crucifixion process for Jesus. No doubt, many people in the early Christian communities reading Mark's gospel had at least at one stage flirted with the idea of this revolutionary movement like Barabbas. So reading this story of this guilty man going free and this innocent man being crucified it would, be, it would not be hard for them to identify with Barabbas and to view the rest of the story with awestruck faith and amazement as Jesus takes his place. Mark is saying God's grace, God's sovereign and saving presence is exactly what we're witnessing in this story, this is what's happening. Jesus is dying in the place of the condemned man that represents all of us, the son of the father. So the story continues, you guys okay? The process of crucifixion began with a flogging Jesus would be tied to a post. He's surrounded by a a cohort of Roman soldiers. Some people say this could have been 600 men surrounding Jesus, mocking and ridiculing him. Their behavior to Jesus is mockery. Kings and senior noble officials, they wore purple, purple robes. It was deeply violent and offensive, the crown of thorns, the spitting, the beating. N.T. Wright says about this story, this is what they have always wanted to do to the king of the Jews. And they're not going to spoil it, the chance now that they've gotten it. The result is humiliation and degradation. Jewish nationalism led to the arrest of Jesus. Roman nationalism now to his mockery and ultimately to his cross. And when they're done mocking him, they lead him to Golgotha to be crucified. It was customary standard for the condemned man to carry the cross the, the cross piece of his cross but at this point due to being up all night being beaten ridiculed mocked Jesus is unable so the romans force simon to carry it you have to be thinking remembering mark 8 when Jesus and this has to come to mind, Jesus said, Take up if you want to be my follower, take up your cross and follow me. Athol Gill in one of his books on the cross says one of the profound paradoxes of Christianity is to be found in the fact that the one who was not able to carry his own cross is the one that enables us to carry ours. They arrive at the place of his crucifixion. I know I'm going fast, I'm just telling the story here. They offer him a numbing drink and he refuses it. They put a sign saying, King of the Jews, and they hang him on that cross. The Romans wanted these crucifixions on main thoroughfares, main main paths of travel, so that everyone could see this is what happens to people who threaten our empire. Mark says that people are walking by and they continue. The mockery and the ridicule continues. The religious leaders, they mock him, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the Messiah, the King, of the King of Israel, let him come down from that cross that we may see and believe. Even on the cross, they're saying we need a sign, Jesus. Where's our sign? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, the Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we, the church, we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are being called, that's us, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is silent. Mark counts off the hours for us. He went up on the cross in the third hour, 9 a.m. At the sixth hour, the sky goes dark. The ninth hour, Jesus cries out from the cross. He quotes Psalms 22 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I encourage you this week, read Psalm 22. It's the parallels. Jesus has this psalm on his mind. In the peak of of the agony on the cross, there is Jesus feeling utterly forsaken. Not only had his closest friends abandoned him, his own people had turned their back on him, and now the deepest sting, the Father turns his face away. His people still don't get it. They think that he's calling for Elijah. They're still looking for a sign. And they'll get one. Jesus gives his last cry. And as he dies, the curtain in the temple the veil that separated the holy place, the most holy, the presence of God from the people. It's torn in two from the top down. As if the Lord put an exclamation point on Jesus' Jerusalem ministry, the temple system, all it stands for, that separation from the presence of God is done with. And now, because of the work of the cross, that veil is torn, and we have access to the very presence of God. The author of Hebrews said, Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercies and find grace to help in this time of need. Then we come to verse 39, which is, Startling to me. Verse 39, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that, th- saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This is one of the most striking verses in this gospel to me. This is the only time In Mark's gospel, that a human rightly confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark did at the beginning. Some demons did. Nobody else gets it until this man, this Roman oppressor, who was in opposition. Something happened in the crucifixion. For this man, his eyes are opened. The mockery is now over and in calling Jesus the son of God, this centurion, this Roman officer, has switched his allegiance from Caesar who was the official son of God to Jesus who was the real, true son of God. Mark continues, he tells us that there are women there. Interestingly, just to point out, The disciples are nowhere to be found in Mark's gospel. But there are women there. It's going to be really important as we look at next week that the women saw where they put Jesus. They they knew what was happening here. And finally, Mark tells us that Joseph, this leader takes some courage and he requests Jesus' body to give him a proper burial before the Sabbath. We know from John's gospel that it was Joseph and Nicodemus. Somehow the crucifixion emboldened these two men who apparently had been appreciating and following Jesus from the shadows. They exhibit I believe, what it looks like to be a disciple. They were both part of the religious power structure. They were wealthy and well-respected. Yet they risked their life. Think about it for a second. Showing that you aligned or that you sympathize with a condemned revolutionary, would usually equal another death sentence. This took courage. They humbled themselves. This was not customary for for a man of their statue to do this work. This was work for a slave or for possibly a woman in that culture, in that time. They became ceremonially unclean. They touched the dead body. They laid down, this is what it is to be a disciple. They laid down their rights, their privileges, their position, and they served. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the cross. They laid Jesus in the tomb. They rolled the stone in front. And Mark finishes his account of the burial with a feeling of eager impatience. He set everything in order for the next stage. And we know that he won't stay in that grave, amen? But for now, it's the Sabbath. And everything must rest, including the body of Jesus himself. This week, I want to encourage you to sit with this chapter Read it a few times. Talk about it with your kids. Talk about it with your family, with your friends. The cross is, as Paul said, it is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. The cross is not just the enthronement of Jesus, but it is the way that he achieved victory over death, hell, and the grave to bring us into the family. The cross, there's so many different facets of the cross that we can meditate and we should spend a lifetime meditating, pondering, thinking about the cross 1st Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12. I just want to read this and then we'll pray and the worship come up. I know we went long. 1st Peter chapter 1: Concerning the salvation the prophets who prophesied about this about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time in the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories, verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This cross The mysteries, the majesties of the cross are the things to which angels long to look and to think about. I'm reminded of the story even in in Revelation. I think I read this a couple weeks ago. When Jesus is the slain lamb, creatures in heaven that have spent who knows how long worshiping, they fall down and they worship because of this revelation the cross the Lamb of God this should provoke us to worship the cross should provoke us to new new aspects of adoration and love and worship to fall down and to give him glory Because he's the slain lamb and he is worthy. Amen? Let's pray. The worship team can come up. Father, we... We thank you that this was not an accident. This was the plan from the beginning. That it was your good pleasure to endure the cross, Jesus, for our sake. We thank you that, as Isaiah 53 says, that you were whipped so that we could be healed, that you were crushed for our iniquity, that the punishment that we were due was placed on you. Father, I ask that you would help us to see the cross for all of its glory, that you would help us as we remember the cross, that we would fall down in worship because you alone are worthy. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen.